Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. Let's get into it. The challenges facing colleges and universities today are going to take more than tactical tweaks to solve. Driving relevance and modernization across the academy requires leaders to reimagine the institution and its place in the lives of learners and in the economy. Though higher education adapted quickly to the COVID-19 pandemic, the obstacles it created for learner access and success accelerated a number of slow-moving trends around learner enrollments, expectations for flexibility, and explorations of new options that we're still grappling with today. Addressing these challenges is going to take a reimagination of higher education. Modern Campus and the Evolution recently hosted a webinar in partnership with the Chronicle of Higher Education, exploring how senior executives can leverage their continuing and workforce education divisions to build a strategy for sustained growth in higher education's next normal. The webinar's panelists were presidents representing a diverse array of colleges and universities across the United States. In this episode of Illumination by Modern Campus, we're excited to share with you a segment from this webinar, showcasing insights from some of higher education's most innovative executives, reflecting on how you can think differently about the way you attract, engage, and retain modern learners. I hope you enjoy it. You know, obviously, there are a range of strategies and tactics that can allow different institutions to address these evolving needs for both traditional and non-traditional learners. And, you know, as we know, Traditional learners aren't necessarily going to jump through the same hoops that we've always put in front of them more and more that they're thinking and acting more like consumers, more like non-traditional learners. So what does it take to start building this robust lifelong learning life cycle? It's a little bit of what, what we'd already been talking around about culture change. So, you know, what can future oriented colleges do to start meeting those needs of, of modern learners? And, and Phil, I'll start with you here. Everything that goes on in a traditional university is enormously valuable. And I'm an accounting professor. I've been listening for 40 years to people telling us that we aren't preparing students appropriately to go into accounting. And what they really need is this and this and this. And I think we have to be very cautious. When we listen to the voice of industry and the voice of companies, they're very short-term goals, but we know ultimately these students need to be educated if they're going to have a degree. And that education consists of you know, learning how to learn, being able to connect the dots around very disparate concepts and topics, being able to work in groups and teams, et cetera. And I can learn that as an English major, a history major, a political science major, a fine arts major. And those students will do well and they will do fine. That doesn't mean that they don't need in the future. I can have a fine arts major who finds himself or herself in project management. We should be able to provide project management certification for that person, even while they are also getting a degree. And so I think a very important part of the emerging institution that we have to create is something that that A, remembers the primacy of degrees and remembers the primacy of the knowledge core of all of our institutions, but B, also recognizes the importance of the emerging learning life cycle. We are far beyond this idea of at most, you're gonna top out at a master's degree in your late twenties or your early thirties, and then you're never gonna see a university again, except at football games, okay? The fact is people are gonna be weaving in and out of the universities forever. And the important thing is to create not some little bolt on continuing education department or something like that that most universities have, but make that lifelong learning enterprise 
a pillar of what the university does. So that the degree granting portion and the lifelong learning portion are working in tandem throughout the lifelong learning cycle of, of these future learners. Absolutely. And Thomas, I'd love to swing that over to you as well, because it's an interesting idea that Phil's just raised about the creating a more intentional continuing education concept. And how does that start to play out when you're thinking in terms of a system view? Sure. And I think Phil makes an excellent point because we are in a, a season for a long season for lifelong learners and to normalize individuals coming in and out of the educational process is going to be very important. Because our students are, are people too. Uh, so they want an environment that is welcoming. They want an environment that provides a pathway to their uh, educational success, whether that's a credential or two-year or four-year. And when we look at that, that's what we're looking at in our community college system here. Also having uh, various modes of instruction, as we all had to do in response uh, to the pandemic, significant amount of our coursework, although we remained open throughout and had uh, continued on-campus in-classroom instruction, a uh, significant amount of that coursework was delivered virtually. And so we're going to have to have the flexibility moving forward uh, to meet the needs of that student uh, that is, one, continuing education, moving in and out of our, our colleges, uh, in and out of our systems, providing uh, learning platforms uh, that are conducive to their learning, specific learning environments. And on that specific, uh, having the flexibility to tailor to students' needs uh, because they are, uh, as uh, Madeline mentioned earlier, uh, you're going to look at Uber. You, you, they're used to a menu. You know what's going to be convenient for me. What's going to fit my lifestyle? What's the individualized plan that this uh, college or university may be able to offer me? And ultimately, I think it's going to be very important for us as well is to show that value proposition that if you invest uh, your time in this credential or continuing education or what have you, what's the economic benefit? What is the job uh, that is available at the end of that process? Or how can you enhance your particular career if you're uh, within a specific company? So I think those are the type of things that uh, we have to look at, you know, whether it's uh, a system here uh, or in uh, our individual universities across the country. Marit, if I could share one thing that's emerging, and you shared it on one of your slides about the importance of career development. At Ivy Tech, we spent three years standing up something we call career coaching and employer connections. We now have 150 plus FTEs serving in three primary roles, career coaches on every campus, work and learn professionals on every campus, that's both placement and internships, and then the employer consultants. That concierge ability to work with a brand new applicant to pick their credential, uh, but also then help them get that internship, work and learn, apprenticeship, whatever that's going to be, and then placement, and then to come back and continue to skill up and work with that career coach over and over in a true partnership with industry, making sure that we're filling a pipeline while helping each student actualize what they want in their career and life. So I think there's a whole lot more that we haven't even done. We studied the best across the nation three years ago, and then very purposefully with some very strong support of our Lilly Endowment helped us to do something that's really never been done in our space. We are just seeing, so I'll share one example. On one of our campuses last fall during the pandemic, they required a career coaching appointment along with the advisor appointment. That's a simple change they made. 
4% higher retention by that campus that fall, just by that one behavior. Imagine if we truly interlaced, interwove that career development all throughout and that coach that helps you figure out what to do next, not just when you came to the institution, not just while you're in it or complete, but could come back. So I think there's a whole lot that we've not been challenged to do because we didn't have this kind of learner before. Now I think uh, the, the game has changed. Absolutely, and Madeline, I'd like to come to you here, please. Yeah, so I echo everyone. I'm gonna add a couple of things. One, I think the MOOCs, right? Like a decade ago, everyone was saying higher education will be wiped out by free access. Everyone will take a massive online course. What we found 10 years later is that 80% of those that took a MOOC, enrolled in one, already had a bachelor's degree. And they were trying to get those skills to get ready for an interview, to get ready for a promotion or for personal interest. And they didn't quite take off in the way everyone imagined it. And what I think we're at now is really like, how do we take that lesson, right? and apply it to today, which is what everyone is saying. It's about stackable credentials. I do think that as much as we advance in higher education, we come back to something in the 70s or in the 80s, which were occupational completion points. And I wanna say, those are micro-credentials, our old OCPs, right, that we did away with. And I, I think that those milestones will be important too, that students are gonna come in and out of their degree particularly in open access institutions, um, where how can we make sure we bundle this course for that credential? And for that one then stacks up to the next one and looking at stackable credentials. I think about cybersecurity, where you really have robust certifications and industry validation that can lead to an associate's into a bachelor's and beyond as a good example that we've seen in healthcare from a CNA to an LPN to a RN to a BSN. So I think how do we build those in emerging industries for our regions and for our communities, but then package those to students in a real personalized way. This idea of come to a window, take a number isn't, it isn't just, it's not gonna work, right? And that's why I take, you know, I say about the consumer driven kind of innovation that will emerge and what we have to do as institutions to ensure. But I also wanna add this part and that's technology. You know, I, I met with our IT team, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about AI, you know, and AI is changing the way that we work, the way we play, the way that we learn, but is it changing the way that we teach? And so we have our entire faculty going through an AI training program this coming week. And then we'll make innovation grants available for how they'll use AI to enhance student success. And then how will we use AI to create a more personalized learning experience for students and more of that concierge service that, you know, Sue and, and Phil and others have talked about. Absolutely. And Frank, let me kick it over to you here. Well, you know, I'm just trying to pull some of the threads together and it, it, it's just fascinating to listen to the conversation, but, but 
before I became the chancellor at Purdue Global, I was vice provost on West Lafayette campus at Purdue for almost a decade. And one of the things that, you know, early on we talked about we have different types of learners and West Lafayette, like a lot of big 10 schools, has the traditional 18 year old and, and what, you know, we've created this urban myth that, you know, college means you're 18 to 22 and you're on campus and go to football games and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm at a campus of 35,000 online learners. Most of them are, you know, average ages in their 30s. And, and the, the one, uh, let me give you a couple of real differences between the two populations. Of the 18-year-olds that come to Purdue West Lafayette, um, you know, they grew up really good at taking tests, right? Whether it is, you know, the SAT or they're taking their engineering certification or their nursing, you know, that they really are good at taking tests and, and our universities like Purdue West Lafayette built organizations or, or institutions that kind of replicated that. Now that they're marvelous and I, I love the, the young people on, and, and there's nothing like a university campus. And I think we all grew up on them and, and we greatly appreciate them. But ballpark 50% of the students at West Lafayette who started in major, by the time they graduated, they did something different. But what I really think it reflects is they come with so much ability and, and they're in a discovery phase of life and what they really are trying to discern, what do they really want to do, all right? And, and, and I think that's okay that they explore and discover. Now you come to the, my current institution, like I said, typical person coming to me is in her 30s, all right? She is working today. She's supporting you know, children and, and all kinds of competing needs. 90% of the students who come to us stay in the same major. What are they really interested? They want to get done as fast as they possibly can so they can get this bump in their career and their enrollment or, or, or their profession. They're not interested in joining lots of clubs. They would join a club that might have something tied to their profession. Um, you know, and, and as Sue said, we, we also emphasize career counseling and try to show the students, here's really what's going to help you. We are doing something that maybe worth emulating at other institutions is in addition to your report card at the end of each term, we also have what we call skills report. And the skills report is what we're trying to track is the development of professional skills. And they are these broad skills that we talk about teamwork, communication, critical thinking. And in each of the courses that we have is assessing one of those particular skills. So we're able to track the development of the skills of the individual as they move forward. Absolutely. We talked a lot about the, the role of continuing ed and the, the potential for continuing ed in the presentation portion. We've all talked about different pieces that continuing professional workforce education, even online ed divisions, bring to the table when it comes to supporting our innovation, when it comes to supporting our, our capacity to grow as an industry, as individual institutions. So as we sit here, a group of, a group of senior executives, what role do you believe continuing in workforce education divisions can play in helping to realize this next normal for higher ed institutions where stackability is part of what we do, where more comprehensive and personalized learner engagement is, is fundamental to our culture, where there's a broader recognition of, of the value for non-credit education and how it fits into a, a learner's lifestyle? President Stith, I'll start with you on this one, please. Well, 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 thank you. I think, you know, clearly workforce education and continuing education both can provide that short-term knowledge and skills that can serve as an entry into the workplace or add on to their knowledge, uh, abilities, and skills to enable those learners uh, to progress in their careers. You know, they're, they're pursuing that 
to, you know, they have careers now. They want to have those tools that are going to help them progress. The short-term credentials provide that quick turnaround, a return on the learner's investment. As I mentioned earlier, they might not be able to measure uh, their higher education in, 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 in years. They, they need a turnaround in weeks. And so we see this as an option for that. The workforce credentials often take the uh, knowledge and skills from an associate's degree program and modulize those skills uh, so it's shorter, uh, quicker turnaround and giving that individual and their experience base, of course, to be much more marketable in the workplace. So I think you're seeing more and more, uh, as I said, as we look forward, uh, as we work through this pandemic uh, and continue to look at strategies to meet uh, our new learners, the workforce credentials, the short-term workforce credentials are, are going to be key uh, to the learners that I, I believe all our, my colleagues here are, are focused on. Absolutely. Frank, I'll swing it to you. Yeah, it, I, I agree entirely with him. And it, I, I'm going to go back. I, I really think the challenge is building pathways, especially, you know, so, so Sue and I, we're both in Indiana and we're trying to work very collaboratively to give the students at Ivy Tech an understanding of what a pathway might be for them to come over to Purdue Global. And, and I do think, you know, we've talked about the consumerism of a current student. When they come, they're trying to understand the economic value. Where it would give us some caution is sometimes we try to measure the economic value of this particular degree. And I think we might be trying to cut things too fine at, at times because part of the economic value is the employee's performance. And, you know, you know, we, we talked generationally about one of the challenges today, some of these people don't even show up for work. So how much of it was the, the individual and how much of it was the degree? A, a, another caution that, that, that I'll throw is as higher ed institutions were measured, you know, by Department of Ed and the iPads data that captures stuff like this. And as we move some of our work into these new uh, directions that I think is the place for us to go, how do we get the Department of Ed and others who are trying to evaluate us externally to say, no, this is exactly what we want them doing. And I think that's a real challenge for institutions at this point. Now, for the most part right now, the continuing ed is almost viewed as an auxiliary within the institution that really doesn't matter all that much. But what we're talking about doing is, you know, uh, dedicating, you know, critical resources to address the industry needs in our states. Absolutely. So, Sue, I'd, I'd like to come to you here, especially through the context of, you know, as, as the president, how you empower continuing education to play this greater role. So one of the things we did this year is we just changed our metric on headcount. We don't count headcount as the revenue generating credit bearing anymore. We've, we've opened it up to all headcount. So that gives equal, uh, my campuses will get equal credit for the non-credit or other kinds of serving they do to these non-traditional students as they would for a revenue generating. Took my trustees a little bit to get used to that because we tend again to want to be compared with our four-year partners, but our headcount is different than their headcount. Ours are part-time. Their real life, all those things you heard about are wonderful students as Frank described the complexities they have. And we want those continuing ed, that non-credit training to stack in through PLA, through any method. We're going to continue to see it as a continuum. People will come in at different parts, they'll leave, they'll come back and a student is a student. 
and we should treat them. They should have a C number as we call it, right? They should have a student ID, whether they came in from the non-credit side, which we used to not even measure, only their dollars, right? But now we treat them as a student. We follow up with them as a student. We provide them career coaching as a student. We treat them in the same way. So I think that's one of the things we've done and very well received. And it's changing behaviors on my 19 campuses because they all count, right? Every student counts. So that's one small step. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.